Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams. And joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jay. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm well. It's awesome weather outside. I am so thrilled about that. Yesterday, too. I had a fun day off adventure. Did you? Yes. Did you go biking and not invite me again? I did something even better than that. What was that? I put a backpack on with a fishing pole and I biked to fishing holes and didn't catch a darn thing, but I had a blast getting to the different holes that I went to. Fishing really hole. Fun. What are yeah. you like a <laughs> And and I had fin? I had awesome music playing while I did it. Did you like fashion a, a raft out of limbs and that is the next project. And then just like float float up the river. It down was the one, river. Up. It, it was one of those days I wish. That would be so fun. It was one of those days where as I was just out adventuring, I kept thinking to myself, I can't believe I get to live in this place. Like, you know, I'm riding along and one car passes me. And that's it, one car. And I'm in this beautiful wilderness. It was just amazing. Everything is coming alive. I love it right now. Including the mosquitoes. That everyone that's true. I did deal with a few of those, but I put some strong chemicals on my skin and that protected me from the bites. Yep. And... <laughs> So speaking of being protected, I feel like we need to, I, I do want to address something first before we What are you about on. to say? <laughs> but we had a little conflict this morning and I, and I have a question for, like, I wish we had a poll for everybody. Here's my question. What is the appropriate way when you send a message, like a text, for example, and the person doesn't respond, what is the appropriate way? What are the different methods or the appropriate way to say, hey, you never responded to this. Now, who's the message going to? I think that should be clarified. Well, let's just say hypothetically, it's a message from you to me. Oh, you're talking about me right now. <laughs> so Jeff... I wish we had a live, like if this was live, this would be so great to hear the responses. I know. I would like to know because because what you chose, you chose a very interesting method, a very interesting strategy. So you asked, should we record the podcast at 9 this morning. Yes. And I responded to it. I gave the thumbs up, but you didn't get that notification. And so then later you again, you sent another message, but it was shorter podcast at nine with three question marks. And that felt very aggressive. The th three question the marks. Three question marks. I love that that felt aggressive. It, well, doesn't it like... If it would have been podcast at nine in all caps, <laughs> with three, okay, it was just questions. Okay, so question marks. So, so, but why three question marks? I have no idea. Tiffany was in my office, our intern. Yeah. We were talking about some important stuff, and I th and she said, "Do you know if my office, which is where we podcast, is going to be needed around nine o'clock?" I said, "I don't know. I haven't heard back from Jay yet, but he sent some other messages. I wonder if he missed the one about the podcast." And then I sent that to you. Now With everyone's three, feeling so bad for me right three now. Three question marks. I just want so there <laughs> there are different ways. Time. Like one one way is that I've seen people do is they just put like, um, like you know the different different emo emojis that you can put you know reactions to the different texts, and so they'll go back to the original text and emphasize it with a question mark. Can we do that on our teams. That'd be awesome. I think so. Yeah. 
So that's one way I've seen it. I'm going to check that. Another way is somebody saying, hey, I don't know if you missed this, or I just want to move this to the top of the list. I've gotten that before. Just want to move this back to the front of the line, remind you that I haven't heard back on this. But you choose, rephrase it in a short way with three aggressive question marks. But you're a special case in my life, Jay. Is that not what you do for other people? Uh, I don't know. I actually am trying to see if I could put a question mark on... Well, Microsoft Teams, and I cannot do it. I wish I could because that'd be useful. Well, we don't have time for these shenanigans. I'm just going to give a thumbs up to my own question next time and assume that <laughs> assume I'm right <laughs> per your sermon. <laughs> that's that's what I what I would wish what I wish everyone would do for me <laughs> is admit that I'm right all the time. So just to agree you, with I'm me. going to admit that I'm right. <laughs> just agree with me. That's a good. <laughs> the world is so much well, easier I, when people just agree with me. <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do. Yes, I want everybody to agree with me. So therefore, I'm going to agree with me. Oh, thanks for being a special case that's in good. my life, Jay. Oh, it's so good. All right. Well, I, I'll be curious to hear from people. Like, So that's the big question for people who are listening. I would love to hear. How do you, what is the appropriate way? What is the, to gold, respond to Jay. the golden rule way <laughs> of saying, hey, you may have missed this. I feel like, I do feel like it's a little bit like the horn. I had that in my sermon, but I didn't end up, I just short shortened the illustration. But like when you make a mistake driving, Lauren has often said she wishes there were different horns. Like I do too, should, that'd be nice. There should be like a, hey, I got to get your attention horn if someone's about to back into you, but that should be different than the, Hey, I didn't see you there. Sorry. Like when you start to change lanes and then you realize, Oh, and then you pull it back. Like you'd like to have like a little, I'm sorry horn. Yeah. Um, your story on Sunday, by the way, brought me back to a, a challenging driving situation. I experienced like two years ago when I was down in Nina visiting my parents, there was a weird intersection and I thought I had right away and I pulled out and as soon as I did that, I realized I didn't have right away that someone else did. And I put my hand up and waved like, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. And this person went road rage. They literally yeah. did a U-turn, followed us, screaming out the window, beeping and trying to get next to me, like on a city street. And I wow. wouldn't allow them next to me. Like wow. they went bonkers. So that's when you could use that horn. Like I really did not intend to like the violate who's next. Yeah. I just didn't understand the intersection. No one got hurt. No one slammed a brakes. He just had to slow down. Yeah, and he went nuts, and which you know, I'm, I'm like, sure he was following the golden rule there because I'm sure that's yeah. what he would want somebody, yeah, to well, do to him to let him know. That, or the silver rule, which is the silver. The silver rule is a negative statement, the negative way of stating the the golden rule. That's the don't do yeah. to others what you don't want them doing. Yeah, to you. exactly. Right. Well, and we do the bronze rule in my house. Like, that's <laughs> What's the, the bronze rule? The do unto others as they've done to you. <laughs> That's the, that's the bronze rule. Oh my word! Nailed lead, lead rule. I don't know. I it's needed a, that character. I needed that designation for that one. That, Thank I, you. That's, that's we're gonna a, use that at soccer practice on yeah, Thursday. There you go. <laughs> I well, I was gonna make a joke about that on Sunday, but I just I don't know. I've done that before. Um, talked about the bronze rule, I think, but I mean, I did address it. So I mean, it's I don't know what you thought, but I um, I know some of the things that you thought because I could read your facial expression during the sermon, um, the cringing. That's yeah, what that's what you're always looking for, I know. <laughs> oh my Lauren, gosh, look at him. Lauren told me she, there was a cringe moment early, but she didn't. I, 
we won't go into that. I have a hard time. Like, it's so bright when you're preaching. I have a hard time seeing some of those nuances in the faces, depending on where I'm looking. It is. Oh, my. It is bright. Um, but I can, I can do it. I can sense it. My face just glows for you, huh? Spidey senses. I loved the sermon, personally. I thought it was really encouraging. And I wasn't sure. You and I hadn't... A lot of times we do get to process before the sermon, and this week we just didn't have time for that. So I wasn't sure where you were going to go with it, because it's such a profound statement of truth, and obviously has shaped the world. And, you know, when when it's violated... It's interesting to me, because when it is violated, like when we see it like you pointed out in other people usually are the violators of it, not ourselves. But when we see it um, or we see a story, like a movie about it, that's built on basically the violation of that rule. It's just appalling to us because it is so part of who, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. It's just instinctual, like in the sense of the way we, the way we evaluate things. Now, like you pointed out really helpfully, we don't use like the right measure to do that, but it is part of our, our morality. Well, it, it, I, I was trying to point out what was striking me just in looking at it is that it's such a simple statement. It's just one that we take for granted. I, I don't know how many times I'm sure you're the same. I don't know how many times I've heard from people, Christian or non-Christian who will say something like, I just try to live by the golden rule. Yep. I've heard it. And we hear it all the time. And it just struck me that we are we're just so confident that we do that well. And yet I think no one does that well. Like, I think it's, it's, it's actually, we rarely, rarely ask. I mean, anytime you're in a situation, how often do you ask yourself, how would I want to be treated in this situation? How would I want somebody to approach me in this, in this situation? Like, it's so rare when I'm talking to someone and they're saying, how do I deal with this situation at work? How do I deal with this situation in my family? I don't think I've ever in decades of ministry had somebody say, yeah, and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, how would I want somebody, how would I want them to approach me if I, you know, for example, was in this destructive behavior pattern and didn't see it at all and didn't notice it, and didn't know what kind of havoc it was wreaking, you know, on people around me. How would I want people to, to handle Like nobody ever asks that. So it's interesting that it's a philosophy that a high percentage of people in the, in the world, certainly in our country would say, yes, that is, that's one of the, um, they would say, yes, that is, that's one of my main philosophies of life. And yet we don't actually put it into practice. Especially the positive side of it. So the, the, often right. when people, it's an admirable way to live, right? That's like, I think, common sense mm. for people. They would say that. But often they're thinking of like, you know, I wouldn't do this to my neighbor. Not thinking, how would I proactively go out of my way to love them in a way that I would want to be loved? That is a different way of living. That, that The way that Jesus shows us to live. But I don't even think we, I don't even know if we do the the silver rule version of it very much. I mean, I think about when you said that with my neighbor, I mean, I remember living in, in Colorado and living in an HOA, like a covenant controlled, um, neighborhood. And, and I remember my neighbors across the street, like they thought we had turned them into the HOA because all of a sudden they got all these notices from the HOA about their trees and how the trees (laughs) needed to be addressed. And, And the trees were fine, but they just like, weren't, 
And I was like, I'm glad that they brought it to me rather than just assuming. Cause I was like, listen, look at my yard. I am not throwing stones. No, I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to report something to the HOA. And so I clarified with them, but what they were so, they felt so discouraged by was they were like, well, if it was a problem, why wouldn't the person just ask me? Why wouldn't they just say, Hey, or do you, like, do you need some help? Do you know what's going on with your trees? Do you know that they're diseased? And I'm looking at them going, I would have never known these were diseased. I didn't know like that they were dying. And so that's what was going on. And so I think we, we don't even do that. Like we don't even avoid like the guy that does the U-turn and chases after you. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why we don't is because we're so confident that we're right. Like that's, that was the point I was really trying to make is like we, d- I wanted to illustrate the big idea was I wanted to illustrate, we don't actually follow this. And because the reason we don't is not because we think that it's a bad, like the golden rule is bad or that it's any, like, but it's that we always, basically every situation that we would be in to apply it, we think there's an exception. Like we think we're the exception because, well, but this person did this or I know I'm right. So I know, yeah, I wouldn't want someone judging my motives the way I'm judging their motives, but the difference is I'm right. They're wrong when they judge my motives and try to understand where I'm coming from and they assume they know they're wrong. I'm right in where where I know you're coming from. And so therefore the golden rule doesn't apply because I'm right. That's what I see so often. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to demonstrate that how like even in Jesus, who was always right, who never was like was always in that situation, and yet he still functioned in a way that that we don't like he still you know demonstrated forgiveness and compassion saw the people and not you know the things that they were struggling with and you know all the different things we tried to i tried to outline there but that's what it, like it was this my mind always goes to okay well do we do this thing like especially when you come to a simple passage in scripture that's just like a like a softball as far as understanding it like what could possibly be simpler to understand intellectually than the golden rule but when I see that, something like that, then my question, my first question is always going to be like, well, do we, do we actually follow it? Like, do we, do we live that out? And if not, then why? And that's what really struck me about this passage is that I don't know, I couldn't think off the top of my head any other passage of scripture that fits those criteria, like that's so simple to understand intellectually but so difficult to follow and, and where we're so confident that we do follow it. Like it's all of those things. So like the love your enemies passage is very easy to understand intellectually, very difficult to follow, but we would acknowledge it's difficult to follow. Yes. Yeah. Where this is subtle because we've been duped, right? right? We've been duped into thinking, got that one mastered. I mean, it'd be interesting. This could be something, you know, as you say that, it made me think, what would I practically do, you know, to grow in that? And I think part of what I would have to do is start to say, God, I want to live this out. Help me to do this. <laughs> Just like I would, I want to love my enemies, God, help me to do that. We would have to take the same kind of approach. You know, when you know that you haven't done it, we need to ask God for help and then practically seek to do it. But like what you're saying is, I think very few of us, if any, will, would say, 
Yeah, the golden rule is on my list of things that I'm learning from Jesus how to do. Because we already think we do it. We have 2020 vision. So we already have it, have it mastered. Um, that's our assumption. So we're not like actually thinking, how could I grow in that? How could I become the person for whom this is normal? This is how I actually live. Yeah, do you yeah, think it's an important observation? Is it is it as simple as just giving up our view that we are that we are just and that we see things clearly? I mean, that's what I was trying to drive at because here's my logic in that. Like I was saying, we come up with exceptions, but also when I mentioned the whole our fear of condoning sin, that it seems that one of the biggest obstacles to loving people the way Christ calls us to love, the way he loves us and the way he calls us to love others is our sense of like justice of, yeah, but, but what if they get away with this? And what if they don't understand what they did was wrong? And what if, what if, you know, this injustice happens because I function this way? Like I can't, the guy that did the U-turn and came after you that's part of a sense of justice. It's a perverted sense of mm-hmm. justice. But the feeling is you have to know what you did was wrong. And I want you, I, I need to know that you know and that you feel sufficiently guilty. Pay for your sin. You have to pay for your sin. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, above all people, that's why we should be so, so relaxed about that because we know that justice is going to be satisfied. Like there's no fear, there should be no fear for the Christian that anyone will ever get away with anything, including ourselves, by the way. So like that's never, that should never be on our mind. Like, well, what if this person just goes off and and they get away with it and they don't, they, they, they don't realize that they had the right, that they didn't have the right of way. Well, they will one day, (laughs) Like, like as weird as that sounds, they will. And I just think, um, you know, because one of the questions that came up out of this was um, the whole condoning sin and that fear of condoning sin and like, okay, but if I'm loving, then am I going to condone sin? And, And I just, like, we just have to be really mindful that Jesus, the way Jesus functions is perfect. So like, he just doesn't seem to be very concerned with how outsiders are going to view his view of sin. Like he just doesn't seem to be very concerned about that. But one of the things that came up that somebody brought up was, well, and I understand it because I feel it where it's so much easier to exhibit that kind of love, to love your neighbor in that way when they, when they feel remorse or are repentant or they understand Right. So if that guy had caught up to you and you had said, Hey man, I like I waved at you because I didn't understand it and I under I understand, there's a chance that he would be appeased by that and then might show some more compassion. There's a chance. Although a guy that does a U turn and screams like that probably probably not, but there's a better chance. Yes. But if you said, No, I I think I'm I think I did have the right of way, then there's no chance mm-hmm. that there's gonna be any compassion. And I just think, why, why do we, why do we, of course, it's easier to exhibit love, you know, and and of course, it's always 
what we're saying there is it's easier to show love to someone who is a sympathetic figure. Well, who's earned it. And who's, right. Well, and they're sympathetic as, because we yeah. view it as worthy. Yes, Like we exactly. view them as worthy of love. Yes. And, and we need to be able to say that out loud because we need to understand like how that contradicts Romans 5, 8. Like God didn't love us because we were worthy. He loved us because we needed his love. Right? Like it, there's, and so when we're called to love others in that way, we don't love people because they're worthy. We demonstrate love to them because that's what they need. And that's because that's how, what, what's been done for us. And I don't know how, like, I don't know if you have any thoughts of how do you break yourself from that sense of justice and right and wrong and, and those different things. Like, how do you, I don't know, like, is there a healthy way to, you know, because I know then people take it to, okay, so let's take someone is addicted to meth. Well, then are we saying that, okay, the loving thing is like, help them get meth, give them money so that they can get more meth and that they can destroy their lives more. And I think those are some of the confusing, like they're the, the false dichotomies of that loving a person means contributing to whatever they're doing. Yeah. And that truth means condemning them. Like these are the, this is the false dichotomy. Yes. Loving means contributing to any sin or destructive behavior that they may have. And speaking truth means condemnation. And neither of those are true. Like that's not, that's not what speaking truth is. And that's not what being loving is. So. Yeah, we confuse. So it's interesting how the words really do matter and the way Jesus uses them matters. So sometimes we confuse love and grace for like permissiveness or for, for leniency or something. Like as if, uh, if we love someone and give them grace, then like your example of like the meth, we're just going to give them what's going to harm them. But that's not the same thing at all. Of course, in that situation, a friend if you had a friend who was in that situation, in order to love them, you would do everything in your power to get them treatment, to, to withhold, and you would persistently love them when, because they were addicted, they, keep, they kept doing it. So like you, it's not one or the other. Like to love them is to help them in that situation. And that's like, that's a really extreme one too, because most of us, the situations we find ourselves in are a lot more mundane and I think subtle. But I, I think it can be helpful to have those examples, the more extreme ones. But I, I would say like what you said in the sermon is the key principle there, that, that we need to be concerned with the person and not the behavior or the whatever the thing is that's presenting itself as the thing we're worried about condoning or not. And think about how, what would I want someone how would I want someone to love me? So I have plenty, Jay and I were talking before the podcast, we both have plenty of things that, that we need to work on in our walk with Jesus, ways in which we fall far short of what he calls us to. My most loving friends are those who seek to help me take my next step with Jesus and grow in him. And that means my walk with him. That means my prayer life. That means praying for me and and in those loving relationships, we can talk about specific sins in a way that's helpful because both of us in that loving relationship have those things. So I think that's part of it is 
when I remember my own state and that I am not just because of my behavior, I'm able to offer mercy to others in a way that I receive it from God and from others. So yeah, I, you said that in your sermon too, Jay. I think I wrote it down verbatim that uh, justice for others and mercy for me, that's what we want. And it's just not how, the, how it works in the kingdom of God. We are all recipients of more mercy than we could ever comprehend. Yeah, that's one of the things that got cut because I was running out of time. But the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 is a really powerful illustration of that. The parable of the unforgiving servant is he owes this lifetime of debt that there's no way he can possibly pay back. And the, and he cries out for mercy and the king gives him mercy. Doesn't just keep him out of prison, but forgives the debt. This debt that like, if you imagine having, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that, that you just say, I, I will be paying this for the rest of my life and I'll never pay it off. It's that kind of debt. And the king forgives it. And then the servant leaves, obviously feeling really relieved and, and grateful, but then leaves and finds somebody who owes him, you know, a few bucks and, um, and demands that he gets paid back and, and has the guy thrown into prison because he wouldn't pay back his debt. He couldn't pay back his debt. And, and that guy asked for mercy of the servant, just like the servant had asked the king for mercy, but he didn't give it. And Jesus makes this point of like, this is why forgiveness is so important. And it, and it says in Matthew 18, then his master summoned him, his master summoned the, the servant and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what we demonstrate when we look at somebody and we say, well, I, I want mercy. And we, we think that we deserve, we, when we say that, we really think we deserve mercy. I mean, think about how often our language yes. leads to that. Like, well, I, yeah, I want mercy, but also I, I didn't sleep very well last night and I have a lot of pressures in my life. And this person did this thing. They, they, they were extenuating circumstances. And I tried to point that out too, that whenever we sin, we want to say like, that doesn't define who I am. But when somebody outside has sin, we define them by that sin. So it's just completely the opposite. And it's not, it's not like a small thing because what it demonstrates is I don't actually understand the mercy and the forgiveness that has been given to me. I don't actually understand that Jesus, when he sees me, he sees a sick sinner who needs to be saved and he desires to do that. He doesn't look at my sin. He doesn't identify me. I mean, how crazy is it that God looks at us and sees sons? Mm -hmm. That's what he sees when he looks at us. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see how we failed. He doesn't see like the evil that 
you know, in our flesh that fights against us. And, um, and, and so it's just this simple idea of like, if you really grasp that Jesus is constantly saying things that allude to this idea. If you understood this, if you had actually been changed by his grace and by his mercy, then that's what you would give to others. And, and when we don't, when we, when we want justice for others, we're basically, we're, it's gross, but we're basically saying we deserve mercy because we're basically a good person. And God, why aren't you being just towards them? Like, why are you letting them get away with, with this? And, and like, we want to be his hall monitor and make sure that we help, you know, carry out justice. It's just, it's dark. It's really dark. And that's what, like, I don't know if that comes across. And in the, in messages like this, like there are things that are just at their root level, really, really dark. And the things that always make me nervous are the things that are not obvious to us as a culture. The, th- the things that seem like not a big deal or that we think we're nailing it. And they're actually the things that Jesus warns about the most. And the self-righteousness in Matthew 7 of the don't judge the log in your own eye, like that's a big warning. There's several big warnings here in Matthew 7 that if we actually considered it, it's kind of terrifying. And in what's scary, like you said, and I feel like it's a terrifying thing to think that we could be lulled into either apathy about those things, like they don't really matter compared to this other sin, or we've nailed it and, and miss like a huge blind spot. So like the judging one, right? Like in conversations with people being okay with ending a conversation where that was violated in a way that we aren't okay with another sin being violated that we think is worse or something. Like, I think that's a really important comment, Jay, that the golden rule is like that. And the self-righteousness that goes along with it is like that. And to be blind to it is to be, I think it ends up making you powerless because you're just neutralized because you think you're doing it and you're actually violating it. That's a frightening place to be. Yeah. Isn't that scary to think like to, I mean, this is, again, this is what's going to come up next week with the, like, well, we did all the things and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's, that should make us just stop and, and consider and, and then, but the thing is, Jesus isn't trying to trick us. Like the reason why I, I push hard into a passage like this is because I trust Jesus that it's the way to life. That like, I, if we had anybody on Sunday who sat there and felt confronted in, in their own judgment of others and, and felt convicted that um, they weren't actually following the golden rule, like that's a great thing because if they they confess that then Jesus forgives them and showers them with mercy and grace that will, you know, empower them to obey. Like he gives what he commands. Mm-hmm. This is such a, it's such an amazing thing. And so we, we spend so much of our time as Christians trying to convince ourselves we don't need grace. Like we spend so much time trying to defend ourselves to say, and, and look, if you don't believe me, Imagine any time where you, if you've ever been confronted about um, saying something harsh to somebody or gossip or um, any of these things, we are so defensive. We're so quick to give a reason 
why oh no 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 i didn't that wasn't actually pride that wasn't actually self-righteousness that wasn't actually gossip that wasn't like we have all these definitions about it rather than man the the posture that we're supposed to have in scripture is wow if there is like i want to know like let me let me confess that because it would actually be a really if you think about it it's a really amazing opportunity because if someone does point that out that gives you an opportunity to experience the holy spirit he, bringing healing and restoration in your heart and sanctifying you more and making you a a follower of jesus that is that is more sanctified is better salt and light in the world and ultimately this is the culture that we want right like like i'm i always i think sometimes people think that i'm i'm coming down hard, like trying to, I don't know, like bring conviction, which I can't, that's the Holy Spirit. What I'm constantly looking at is saying, man, look at how awesome the life that Jesus calls us to is. Like imagine a church culture where everyone treated each other the way they would want to be treated. Like imagine just how, like how incredible would that be? How, how easy would it be to confess struggles and sin when you know you're confessing it to somebody who's going to treat you and receive that the way that they would want to be received and treated? That, like that's a, it's a, it would be amazing. And, you know, it just strikes me again. I mean, we've been saying this, but it just keeps striking me, Jay, that so much of this is that we have like, I think they're not spoken or necessarily even intended explicitly, but they're like self-salvation projects where we justify ourselves because of our behaviors. Like you said, the, the example you gave of, you know, someone pointing out to you in, in the best way. So forget delivery. Like say they delivered it in the best possible way. Here's a character issue or a, a way you spoke that was was harmful. And the impulse to go inside your mind and begin the monologue with yourself of what I actually meant was this and just all the tricks that we do mm-hmm. so that we didn't actually do wrong in the end, which is self-justifying. That is justifying yourself. I really wasn't guilty rather than just calling out for mercy from that person and then ultimately from God, the one who we you know really violated when we did that. It's amazing how we can really fall into that. It's almost like we're surprised. Yes. And we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's a really good point. We we kind of function on autopilot, like like we're probably doing everything right, which I don't think we would. We wouldn't say it, but it's interesting that Jesus included "forgive us our sins" as we forgive those who sin against us in His prayer. Yeah, and I just He knew we needed it all that's the time. The that's the norm. And but we just it's shocking if someone sins against us. And there's no way we could have possibly sinned against God because we actually did this. This is what we actually meant. And and it's so much, like you said, healing and forgiveness and growth comes through real confession. It doesn't mean that there aren't moments where someone could misread a situation. That happens, right? That's real. That can happen. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think we realize that's not always the case. Sometimes we really did what was self-centered. We really did what was wrong. It also strikes me, Jay, that the way that you delivered this sermon, you always include, you included yourself in it. 
And the way that you brought about that truth about self-righteousness, I think is an application of the golden rule. So thinking about condoning behaviors and things, I think the way that you did that is an example of what it could look like in our lives with people who God has put in our lives when it does, when it is time to talk about some flaw or some issue, you don't do it flippantly. I would never recommend doing it in the heat of a moment. I, in my early twenties, one of the mentors I had walking with Jesus told me that I should never rebuke anyone until I have first cried out to God for them. So gone away and cried out to God. And then I was ready to cry with the person over the sin until my heart was at a place of remorse and feeling the weight of it with them. I wasn't going to be in a a mental state to bring about the sort of loving correction that would be needed. And I've lived by that. And that's been very helpful. Yeah, that's really good. It's not meant to be a getting even. No. It's not meant to be exacting justice because we don't do that. That's not our role. Yeah, you're not the hall monitor either. I just said that earlier, but that is the picture that we get sometimes of like, well, I need to, I need to write them a demerit. Like I need to make sure I report them. And that's totally different than when it's someone that you love and you're broken hearted over, which sometimes will happen. I mean, if you're not, that is a time, there are times where you don't have a relationship. Maybe you see something that's going on in somebody's life because you have a unique perspective on it, but you don't have that kind of relationship, you know, that's where you can come to a pastor or you could go to somebody that is close to them in their life and say, Hey, I don't know, but I'm just concerned about this. And maybe like there is a way to do that in a healthy, in a healthy way, but we have to be really mindful of what our motives are in our own heart. And, and you, you said earlier, that when things get brought up to us, our first, that man, the inner monologue, dude, I like, I, <laughs> that's, you, you're just, you're just nailing it there. And I think every, anybody who's honest and is listening knows what that's like when somebody brings up something or confronts something and the inner monologue immediately goes to defending and, and controlling the narrative to show why it's not actually as bad as you think it is. And what came to my mind was how, that is the exact opposite of David in Psalm 139 saying, um, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So every time I respond in my mind defensively, I think, I want to think like that's the opposite of like my mentality shouldn't be, it should, it should be, God, search me. If there's anything, if, if 5% of what I just said to that person was unloving, like uncover that and unearth that in me, because I don't want that to fester. Whereas our natural demeanor is 95% of what I said was good. I don't know why you're picking on the 5%, right? Like that, to use an old illustration you know, about sin, the idea of like a pure cup with only a little bit of sewage in it. Like you'd never look at that glass and say, well, but most of it is good. Like even in a situation where, even in a situation where you'd say, man, I, I, I don't know what else I would have done differently in that situation. There's still going to be motives and heart issues and bitterness and all kinds of stuff that can be dealt with. 
And the reality is most of the time it's not 95-5. Like we're kind of lucky if it's 50-50. And so so we want to be in that situation where this gets communicated, like where we, where we are in a culture where we're like, yeah, I want to know. I want to know if there was something that was um, like sinful ways inside of me, in my heart. And I want to assume that that's going to be the case. Like basically in every interaction, I'm going to assume that, that there is sin present there. And if you are functioning as no, most of the time I'm nailing it and I probably wouldn't change a thing. Well, then you're going to be in a bad spot most of the time. And this is going to be, it's going to be impossible to actually follow Jesus in that. Doesn't it strike you? Like we've been saying this as we've gone, we've, how long have we been in the Sermon on the Mount? It's been a few months here yeah. and it's, we're taking it a you know, chunk at a time, but it's obviously all connected. Like all of these teachings yeah. are, are connected and, it's interesting when you think about like violating the golden rule means you also violate all the other teachings that he gave us. Um, like the one about judge, judging others or, uh, the one about forgiving those, uh, who've sinned against us as we've been forgiven by God and, and so on. Like it's a package deal following him. We can't pick and choose which one. And to me, it all underscores the brilliance of what he's teaching and that this is an unmatched, that there's nothing else like it in the world what we're studying right now there's not it's it's really and it's it's meant to lead us to life i mean that's mm-hmm. it's it's meant it's for our good and so even the hard passages is actually leading us into into the way that is everlasting i think one practical thing if you know and i feel like we've kind of been all over the map here and i know that people i know that one thing that people have asked for is just like practical, like what about this scenario? What about this scenario? The the scary thing about scenarios is again, it starts to put the issue, like the attention on the issue. And so again, like I really wanted to point out that Jesus saw people. So the reason why everyone freaked out when he approached the man with leprosy is because they all saw leprosy and Jesus saw a man who was suffering. And in all those situations so that that you just see that over and over and over again and so that's one thing is we have to make sure that you're we're looking at people not not consumed with the issue every time we get consumed with an issue that's when we get into these feelings of like well am i condoning am i not whatever no you're looking at a person and then the question is and what i'm often doing if i'm if i'm meeting with somebody or in a counseling situation like one of the things i, I want to do is i want to assess where are they with, how do they feel about this? Like, even if it's a, um, like, let's say some kind of addiction, let's say it's alcohol use. How do they view it? Like, there's a big difference between when you, when you're asking the question of how would I want to be approached? Well, it's not about alcohol. Maybe that's not an issue for you, but there are other, like, there's other similarities. So, there's a difference if if somebody is struggling with it and they know it's a problem or they're dealing with a lot of shame around it. Maybe they can't admit that it's a problem even though they know it's a problem, but they're just really embarrassed or ashamed to acknowledge it. Or they're afraid. If I acknowledge it, then it makes it real. And as long as I pretend it's not a problem, then it's not. If you've been in any situation like that, then you'll know, okay, that helps me know how to deal with this. 
like if you've been in a situation where you've been caught in a trap of sin that you're just embarrassed to acknowledge or you're ashamed to acknowledge, how would you want somebody to walk alongside of you in that? What would you want them to say? How would, what would you want their demeanor to be? Like, have you ever been in a situation where you felt where someone has confronted you and you did not respond well? Well, how, when that happens, how would you want them to then come back to you a second time? You know, like we tend to, we, we just tend to do what seems right to us in the moment rather than what we would see as loving. And I think that's part of the simplicity. Again, the brilliance of Jesus here is that it's not some big secret. If we're really honest and we, we kind of die to our own sense of pride and our own sense of like right and wrong and having to make sure that, that, like, that we're the ones bringing justice, if we can really do that and really just simplify down to, okay, so if I was in sin and was completely blind to it, how would I want somebody to approach me? Or if I was in sin and I didn't, um, and I did know, but I was being stubborn about it because I just was embarrassed or afraid to acknowledge it. How would I want somebody to handle that? Or if I did know and I was struggling, like, or if it doesn't even have anything to do with sin, if I just, like I mentioned, it, how, how would I want somebody to react if I, if I came in to a church and I felt alone and I didn't know anybody, what, what would I want other people to do for me? Um, all of these things, if we're thinking about this, um, rather than being fixated on how people are treating us, which that's typically, that's where you get to the bronze rule is we usually start with, well, how have you treated me? And then I go to what you're deserving of, what you're worthy of, rather than starting with, if I was in your situation right now, what would, what would be the most loving thing to do? And, and Jesus again is our perfect example and fulfillment of that. And one other thing about that I, that I was thinking in response to one of the questions that came up or one of the thoughts that came up is don't get caught up in what steps 10, 12, 15 are. Sometimes we, we let that, we're afraid like, okay, well, yeah, I can, I can do that right now in this moment, but what if that goes down this path? And what if, what if this situation then happens? I, I would just say we, you know, Jesus was the biggest picture thinker in the history of the world, right? Like no one had a bigger picture perspective than Jesus, the one through whom all things were created. So let's just, let's just acknowledge that Jesus is fully aware of how things play out. And yet he was always very much in the moment. Like he didn't worry. There just wasn't we don't see him concerned at all that the woman caught in adultery. Well, if I do this for her, is she going to learn her lesson? Is she going to, is she going to know fully? Um, he doesn't seem concerned at all about that. He doesn't seem concerned at all about steps nine or 10. And I think that is a gracious thing that he does for us, that that's not something we have to carry on our shoulders, right? Like we, we don't need to carry the burden of all eternity on our shoulders. We can just respond faithfully in the moment and trust that God will give grace to respond in the moment and then worry about the step two when I get to step two. It's interesting when you put it that way too, that it 
to me, it shows that part of our issue is fear. So what if I say this and then this happens? Like fear of what might happen can prevent us from walking in the sort of obedience that we're called into with Jesus. So for us, it's God's love to us when we're in those situations because his desire is that we would trust him and know him more. And trust him for what next, what the next step will be and what the next step after that will be and the next step after that. That's what we were designed for, to live constantly that way. But when we don't know how it's going to go, how the person will respond and what step 10 will be, it's a fearful response. And what we fear ends up controlling us. So our behaviors end up being controlled by it. So yeah, I appreciate how you said that, Jay. Like just practically, just it's one step at a time. Yeah. So one example is I've known people say, well, um, I'm afraid, like, should I invite somebody to church who's struggling with a specific sin? And it sounds weird, but then the fear is like, well, but let's say that it's someone who's same sex attracted and they're in a, a relationship and they say, well, but if I invite them to church, well, then what happens if they really like coming to church and what happens if they want to join the church and what happens then if they want to be a Sunday school teacher and what happens if they want. And those are all things that you're thinking you don't have to worry about any of those things. Like what is the loving thing to do is invite them to church, invite them to come and hear the gospel and to see people worship King Jesus and trust him. Like we wouldn't, you wouldn't consider that. Sometimes we do that. We divide these sins and we think like, and it, 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 and I think we definitely would be wise to consider how often the sins that we separate out have political ties to them. That would be a really important thing to acknowledge of, oh, this maybe maybe this one's such a really big deal because of the political ties rather than because I, I've never heard anybody say, man, I would I would invite my neighbor to church, but they're really prideful. And I'm just afraid, like, what would happen? Like, would we would we accept someone to be a member if they were really prideful and, you know, unrepentant in their pride? And and so then I was afraid that they might do that. And then, you know, we don't we don't do that. We because those are things that we think, oh yeah, well, those are those are small. Like as Jerry Bridges would say, the the what is he calls them? I think respectable the sins. Respectable sins. Yeah. Yeah, because pride is kind of good, you know, like you got like Mm-hmm. self-assurance you know self-righteousness is like self-assurance and that's that's good and independence and all these different things and we think man i think we would i think if we functioned more in in light of just saying okay i'm just going to be faithful in this moment i'm not going to worry about well what if this happens it, it happens a lot of times in, in trying to help people in the community like if you're helping um you know, someone who's hungry on the street. Well, what if, uh, like, we worry too much about what is sustainable. There is a time to concern yourself with that. There's a time to say, okay, let's let's think about how do we actually help you in the long run. That's Those are good things to do. But not to worry about step 12 when we're at step one. Just be faithful in step one and trust that God, and, and also understand that it's being faithful to Jesus in that step that is what matters. Even if you do the wrong thing, the quote unquote wrong thing, like even if something you do ends up creating some kind of problem later, if it's done in faith, then God is still honored in that. And 
and he will you, you're going to be humble in that to be shaped and the holy spirit will give you will give lots of opportunities um to to make up for that i the someone actually just used the you know that love covers a multitude of sins again like that i've i've lived so much of my life by that that rather than worrying about what's the exact right thing to say i have found in my life that th- being willing to throw myself into situations and just demonstrate that i'm in the trenches with somebody and i love them has covered for a multiple of bad advice and bad counsel and things that you know you know what i mean like definitely i mean that we don't need to protect ourselves we don't and like you said, if our heart and our desire is to be faithful to our king, to obey him and to walk as a member of his body in the world, we're going to make mistakes. Yes. Again, we yes. shouldn't we don't need to be surprised. We don't need to hedge our bets so that we just never are in a situation where that happens. But it I get the feeling like what well, what will I do next? And then after that and then after that, unfortunately that ends up being a bit of what Jesus was teaching us to not do right. um, and is teaching on worry. That it's exactly. the, the bread for today, today. And here's the other thing that I think is crucial with that is that we don't ever have to go it alone. That's why we're in a body together. And the next step might be way over one person's head and way bigger than one person can possibly handle. So we do it together. We rely on the Spirit together to solve and to work towards the good that God has put in our hearts. We're not in this alone. Because no one of us has infinite knowledge of what would be the best thing to do given whatever factor it is, anything they have meaning we need each other for. Yeah, and and we want to help you in that. The counsel part, I, that was actually something else that got cut out, so that will be a good last point for me here, that um, when you seek counsel and trying to figure out how to be loving, we all need that. Like you have no idea how many times I have gone to Robbie or Jeff or other friends and said, can you help me think through what is, what's the most loving response here? Um, and, and processing that out can be really helpful because when you say things out loud or you write a rough draft email or you, you know, and you let somebody else read it, we've had that situation where people have brought us an email or a letter that they've written and, that's really good. That's really healthy because somebody else can look at that and say, well, I don't, is this what you're trying to communicate or, um, and and then we can help each other with that. But when you seek that counsel, here's, here's my big piece of counsel about seeking counsel, seek people who care more about your faithfulness to Jesus than about, um, your approval of, of them. Meaning, we all like to go seek counsel when we know they're going to be on our side. So that's the, well, can you believe this person did this? And, and we all know how to find those people who will tell us, oh, you, you're so right. Like they were, they're definitely in the wrong and you're, you didn't do anything wrong. Don't, don't go for those people because those, that is what will lead to destruction and to hiding of sin. You want to go to people who, you know, care about you and who follow Jesus in a way that you want to follow Jesus and who are, who are willing to say, who are willing to call you out or to, to help you like in searching of your heart and your motives and who are willing to say hard things to you. That's, that's really critical. 
Yeah, and that's not easy to do. It's but not. it's but that's exactly right. I'm always cautious, by the way, of anyone who gives me counsel and doesn't qualify it with, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's another. Uh, yeah. An overconfident advice giver is always someone to be a little hesitant around. Yeah. You should always, <laughs> basically always question advice that is overconfident and also question advice that just happens to back up everything that you were already thinking. Yes. Now, sometimes like, I mean, I've done that before with people where I'm going, yeah, I just, I don't know what else you could have done. But even in those situations, I'm thinking, I, I'll say things like, if you're feeling conviction though, you should not resist that. So I, I may not from my vantage point be able to see something obvious or overt that, that you were in sin in, but something is unsettled in your soul. And so I would encourage you like, yeah, take that to Jesus. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a good, it's a good bit of counsel. So if we can help you and that we want to, I love, I love walking with people through um, these hard situations of how, how do I love my family in this situation? How do I love my coworker? How do I love my neighbor? How, what is, what is the most Christ honoring, loving thing to do in this situation? Uh, we want to help you do that because that's the culture. That's the people that we want to be. Um, we want to be that together. So if we can help you do that, let us know. You can uh, email us at connect at faithpestigo.com. You can call us. You can talk to us on a Sunday. We look forward to that. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope it was helpful. And until next time, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.